our cars will break down. And when they do, the repair bill can be devastating. Not anymore. You need Protect My Car. Whether it's a car, truck, or SUV, you can stop paying expensive repair bills. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now to see if you could qualify. Just tell us the make and model and get an instant quote right over the phone and get coverage today. For cars between 2008 and newer, expensive repairs for the engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now before your next repair bill hits. For total protection of your car, truck, or SUV, and less repair bills, plus free oil changes, free tire rotations, and free roadside assistance. Just call 800-392-8795 now. Protect your car and your wallet. Call 800-392-8795. Paid for by Protect My Car. Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Good evening, Detroit Lakes. This is the Vikings Territory Breakdown. I am your host, Joe Johnson, owner of the VikingsTerritory.com, PurplePTSD.com, and MiniIce.com, as well as about 100 other sites that are launching in the next three to four weeks. So it'll be an an interesting uh, sleepless Fortnite for me. Four, one score, four score. Anyway, um, someone was, yeah, around, I was around it? for how that. How do you do it? Joe, how do you do it? And why do you do it? That's what I'd like. Those My questions, good. it's a Venn diagram that becomes a perfect circle. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, I was going to make a joke about Joe being around for uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, that quote from Abraham Lincoln, but um, now I'm explaining it and it's it, the timing's wrong. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think you think after what three to four years of podcasting together, we'd have some sort of rapport. Uh, but Mr. Joe Oberly is here as always. How are you doing, man? Good. That's my trademark. Step on somebody else's uh, touchdown call. That's that's what I'm known <laughs> for. So I gotta I gotta keep going with it. No, we all, all gotta be focus here. on our brand. Uh, yeah, it is. It's it's. Uh, Things are looking up, I guess. I don't know. I, I might be in a better mood than I was last week for people that were tuning in last week. I was a little up, a little down, uh, but you and Mr. Tim McNiff found a way to get me excited about the offseason somehow. And we are, uh, again, joined by uh, Mr. McNiff. How are you, my friend? I think we should just be clear to people that the only reason I'm here is because somebody else said no again. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy you call when the fourth person doesn't show up for your round of golf. Yeah, I'll be there. Where are we playing? Hey, Oberly, you told me Tice would be here. You give me McNiff? <laughs> we, like there you keep, go. we like to keep people yeah, on, on their toes. Since, since Tice isn't here, I'm going to say it's an upgrade. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that these radio waves reach Seattle, so I think we'll be fine. Um, we actually have a special guest, as people have heard in the background here during the introduction. Uh, Mr. Joe Oakley, why don't you introduce um, your friend? <laughs> My friend. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, we are a crowded house here today. We already got the three three regulars, and uh, joining us is uh, Mark Craig from the Star Tribune, a longtime uh, sports writer from golf and uh, football, NFL, Vikings, and and uh, most recently, well, not most recently, but also known as the uh, the sole Hall of Fame voter for the Vi- for the yeah, Vikings. I wish for the NFL in town. So Mark Craig joins us. We're glad to have you. How you doing, Mark? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Great thank to have you. Here. Thank you so much. Um, I have a, a million different questions for you, and I will admit my ignorance for for this subject. But about five to six weeks ago. Um, Mr. Bob Sansevier, who writes a weekly column for VikingsTerritory.com, wrote an article essentially uh, discussing his the, the one year that he was like a sort of the Tim McNiff of Hall of Fame voters he got to go for just one year back in like the late 80s, early 90s, and he described the process. And I wasn't aware that you had it was basically one guy per market. I, I just I, I guess I never really looked into it. I thought it was maybe like an Academy Awards thing where you know, other Hall of Famers vote or something. Um, but I, I would be remiss if, if we did start by talking about um, Jared Allen, um, what you thought about about 
his uh, this year? Uh, did you expect him to to go maybe as far as he did? What are your expectations for him moving forward? Uh, well, I mean, this was. I mean, you always got to look at who they're who the class that they're in with. I mean, this year there were two two locks. I mean, Peyton Manning. The discussion on Peyton Manning took twenty one seconds, and it's basically. Mm-hmm a person raising their hand and saying Peyton Manning and we all laugh and then it's over. So he was in on 21 seconds. And then Charles Woodson was a little bit longer discussion, but he was considered a lock. And then there was the, the longest discussion was on Calvin Johnson. I, I was surprised that he was a first year. He would get in his first year, mm. but he ended up getting in on his first year. So right there, you got three first year guys out of the five that can modern era guys that can get in. So that leaves room for two more. So Jared was a kind of a, uh, out of luck this year, I think, uh, considering it was down to you know three spots, and then Calvin Johnson gets that third spot, um, or gets that third spot, and then you had a bunch of guys that have been waiting around forever. You know, John Lynch. I feel like we've been talking about John Lynch since Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> he got it, he gets in on his eighth year of uh, eligibility, or eighth year straight eight straight years as a finalist. And then another guy that I thought would have gotten in earlier, but there was a log jam at, at, at offensive lineman that was broken up with uh, Mawai getting in one year, Hutch, Steve Hutchinson getting in last year, and then this year Alan Fanica, his sixth year of eligibility, uh, it's a six-time All-Pro first team, would have been seven times if he hadn't had to play tackle one year because of injuries. Uh, so you look at a guy like him that waits six years, look at a and then you, you think of the TOs that, uh, you know, get offended because they're not in the first year. It's, uh, you know, once you're in, you're in. It's uh, There is no uh, special wing for the first ballot guys. But uh, Lynch and Fanica got those other two spots. Uh, and, you know, Jared's, uh, like a lot of guys, has to wait. And you look through history, the guys who have had to wait, you know, beyond a year, I mean, that that's a pretty impressive list. And it includes uh, guys like Alan Page. Mark, uh, you, you presented uh, Jared Allen to the committee. I mean, that's, that's part of your duties when, uh, when there's a guy in your area or your team that you cover is, is, being, is up for it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of what that process is like and, and how do you change it up next year when, when you go back there and, and put his case forward again? Well, yeah, I think you do have to change up because you look at the fact that, that especially this year when he, he didn't even make the cut from 15 to 10, Sometimes I feel bad for these guys. I almost feel like we should. Uh, there's a lot of things that could change that would maybe make it better. But one thing I feel like is publicizing 15 guys, and you know sometimes guys get stuck in that uh, they don't make it from 15. They don't make it the cut to 10. Uh, most Hall of Fame selectors will tell you that the cut from 15 to 10, not not that it's easy, but it is infinitely easier than that cut from 10 to five. Because then you cut from ten to five, and then you vote yes or no on the on those remaining five. So uh, you know, to me, you change it up when they don't make. I mean, obviously, you can't change his career, and, and sometimes I think selectors take too much credit or too much blame. You know, I, I didn't get uh, Randy Moss in as his first ballot Hall of Famer. It was Randy Moss being Randy Moss. Uh, same thing with Randall McDaniel, John Randall. They, those guys weren't first ballot guys, but. Those are guys that I spoke about. And, and Hutch last year, I helped uh, uh, present that case. wasn't the lead guy on that, but, you know, talked about him. Uh, so you see both ends of it. And with, with Jared, it was not uh, – I was surprised. And I'm going to have to ask around and find out why there was uh, virtually zero discussion on him. And we just kind of moved it. No one had anything to say. Um, and I've seen that happen before on guys that's – as good as Will Shields, you know, his first year, uh, they got done with the presentation. And then I don't know if it's <laughs> people run out of steam because uh, you'll, you'll find that the discussions earlier in, in the uh, process, uh, unless it's a tagliabue at the end or something like that, but the guys early in the process tend to have longer discussions. And as you get toward the end, you know, that meeting was almost nine hours long. So uh, wow. to find out why, uh, but getting back to my original point was why publicize 15 whenever you, you tend to have guys that, that come back year after year after year, uh, they're in that 15 and then they don't get in. It's almost like we should be talking about a narrower field once we get to this point. Mm. Did, uh, the, did Kansas City help you present Jared Allen? 
Uh, yeah, the, the now late Therese Paler, who passed away uh, a couple of days after the Super Bowl, uh, selector, mm. real outstanding reporter, uh, well-known guy. Um, he died. He's only 37 years old, you know, two days after the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. He spoke up on, on Jared. Um, but, yeah, then there was nothing nothing else after that. Uh, mm. Yeah, Jared's a... Discussion was eight eight minutes. It was the second shortest uh, from uh, you know Peyton Manning being, and it was a couple seconds uh, shorter than uh, Rondé Barber's. It was just like eight minutes and twenty seconds. So yeah, I like the time. I'll just kind of get a feel. You know, uh, uh, Calvin Johnson was the longest, over thirty nine minutes. So so what, when when you're having that, I mean, your presentation, you're obviously putting out their career, their stats, what they've accomplished, this that. Do you guys talk about other things too, like our, our what kind of person they were, how they off the, the field beat, issues? Does that, yeah. Does that ever, does that ever yeah, come into the discussion? You know, we're instru- that that's not that doesn't come into play. You're 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 instructed that you know whether they were a good guy. You know, and people have said that over the years. You know, T.I. wasn't a good guy. wasn't good with the media. That's not what torpedoed. I mean, I can't give details but that's not what it wasn't Teal didn't get in on year three because he the media didn't like him I mean there's a lot of guys the media doesn't like and and players that don't like the media Randy Moss didn't like the media I didn't particularly care for Randy Moss but you know Randy Moss was a a hall of fame player uh T.O. I I he was in my you know final 10 I don't know I'm sure he made the final uh 10 each year but I, I had him on my ballot you know, I didn't care for him. I didn't really know him, but you know, that's irrelevant. Uh, you know, people have said that you know guys get, don't get in because of that. I, I, I don't believe that. Um, but no, you you talk about uh, impact on the game. Um, you know, just numerous things. And but you try to go beyond the statistics, especially because you know the game changes so much, and especially when it comes to receivers. I mean. You know, forever there was a log jam with Chris Carter, uh, Tim Brown, and um, Andre Reed. Andre Reed. Oh my gosh, we, we we gave those presentations forever, and Chris was the first one to get in. And at, at basically, it boiled down to, you know, people were saying, "Well, you know, it was Wes Welker a Hall of Famer based on his numbers?" And to me, it was it boiled down to Chris Carter had 130 touchdowns, and at the time, that was I don't know, third or whatever in NFL history. And it was like, okay, here's how long West, I don't know, West Welker had, I don't know, 40 some or whatever it was. A lot of catches, the game's changed. But I said, you know, West Welker would have to play, I think it was like 28 years to, <laughs> at his pace or whatever mm-hmm. it was. It, so to me, it was, it was, you know, scoring uh, for, for Chris. Um, you know, and and a lot of it we talk a lot about the eye test, and you know, a guy like Chris Carter, his hands—they're the pretty he, good. He was pretty yeah, good. The way the way that he can maneuver, you know, they talk about stretching the field, you know, vertically. You know, he stretched the field horizontally with the how he could work the sidelines, and it was just a, uh, I thought, a Hall of Fame player visually. Um, so yeah, you end up yeah, a lot of it's the eye test because you're. And then when you get to the older guys, you know, some of that maybe we haven't seen, you have to do a little bit more research. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of effort that goes into this. Uh, you know, we don't just roll out of bed that day and say, oh, you know, who do we got? You know, it, it one more quick, the year. I'm sorry, but one more quick question on the process. How much interaction do you have with the candidate when, when this is happening? I mean, I'm sure you had to go back and forth with Chris and, once he didn't get in again and then say, you know, what are we going to do next year? How much of there is that? Is, is, is there any at all? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, you, yeah, you talk to, you know, and, and you talk about a lot of different personalities. I mean, Chris, uh, Chris was, I mean, he, uh, was not happy that he wasn't, he wasn't a first year guy. I think Chris went there that first year thinking this is it, you know, and uh, was extremely upset. Um but a guy like Jared was like, hey, you know, I, if I get in, I get in. If I don't, I don't. And I know he's not happy, but I, I you know, there's some guys roll with the punches. Other guys yeah, want to punch someone. <laughs> hey, Mark, if I, if I might. Um, you, so years ago, I was at the, the Super Bowl, the Packers and the Broncos, and it was the year Paul Krause got in. 
and and I'm on the field and I there's media day and I see the legendary Paul Zimmerman who wrote Dr. Z who wrote for Sports yeah. Illustrated forever. And I'm like, that's my soundbite. I can get Dr. Z talking about Paul Krause. And so I'm like all nervous to ask him a question. And he he stops in the field and he'll he'll get me my question and I I ask him about Krause getting in and he says you know, for years I thought Kraus played a little soft, but then I saw on TV somewhere that that's kind of what the Vikings asked him to do. And then I kind of thought, well, you know, maybe. And I wanted to, like, say, what the bleep? You're, you're telling me you watched, like, NFL films and you saw this and changed your mind? And I was so massively disappointed by that. So, I mean, <laughs> so I, I just, without naming names, do you ever get guys that say stuff and you're just like, did you just roll out of bed this morning? And then if you would, the other thing I'd like to ask you about is the potential of Jim Marshall making the Hall of Fame while Jim Marshall is still on this planet. Is Does it exist? Yeah, the, the, the first part, uh, you know, Dr. Z, I'm surprised to hear that because, you know, doctor, you know, you talk about one of the most well the God. guys that, uh, I mean, you know, he's, um, our careers obviously overlapped. Uh, I, I was never in the Hall of Fame room with him. By the time I was doing it, I did several, I did a handful of years when Sid was still saying that he was going to go, and then Sid at the last minute didn't go, and uh, I was at the I was at the Super Bowl anyway, so I, I would do it, but I was always preparing as if Sid wasn't going to go mm. until they finally decided to move him aside, because they knew he wasn't going to come again, but you know, Sid, he wasn't going to give it up. <laughs> uh, so uh yeah so my first one was randall mcdaniel and I, my first year i walk in there and I, i'm looking around the room and obviously it's the most you know well-respected people that there is in the business uh and i had uh i had randall mcdaniel john randall and chris carter <laughs> so it was like oh okay so yeah it was a pretty sleepless night the night before that and uh, Ran randall mcdaniel got in that year um which i was maybe his second or third crack at it, which if there's a guard in, in NFL history that should be in his first ballot, it, Randall's in that right. top handful of guys. But getting back to, you know, Dr. Z, I'm surprised because, yeah, he was he was well known for, you know, knowing the league inside and out. But even that, you know, that's been, what, over 20 years. Um, information, you know, it's hard to believe now without, you know, that there was a time before the Internet when we actually looked to – had to look at make little notes in our media guides to remember things and uh, look at dictionaries and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, maybe, maybe they, there wasn't a, as much information readily available to them. Uh, but no, I, I get the overall right now, especially now. I every, there's 48 selectors. Uh, each market has it has at least one, and then there's at-large guys, uh, and they're adding you know adding on to the to the committee as well. But I think everyone takes it extremely seriously and does a lot of homework on it. And then the other part is the that never-ending question about Jim Marshall is, and you know, I have spent a lot of time talking to Jim and his wife, and yeah, you know, those are the guys I feel bad for because mm. <clears throat> even if he doesn't get in, you know, it doesn't change. I mean, obviously he'd become a Hall of Famer, but Jim Marshall is great, and I think too many times we're caught up in, especially in today's society that you're either a hall of famer or you're a third string, nobody. And it's like, if you say that so-and-so was it, someone, someone asks you, do you think so-and-so is a hall of famer? And you hesitate because you know, maybe an extremely good player and you don't think he's a hall of famer. And I'm not, talk, not talking about Jim because I do think he's a hall of famer, but you'll say, well, you know, I, there's a hall of very good. Well, instantly now with everything being completely black and white, it's, well, you think he was a terrible player. No, it's it, the Hall of Fame should be hard to get into. Uh, you know, I think as far as Jim's case, unfortunately, when they had that uh, centennial class last year and they had the opportunity to open it up, and that, that centennial class, the, the old-timers uh, in that class were picked by a separate blue ribbon committee, and, which also included guys like Bill Belichick, uh, and when they selected that committee and didn't put Jim on it, that was that hurt because uh, that was a chance to get a, a you know a guy that you know played such a high percentage of the first hundred years of the NFL and was the heart and soul and uh, of Bud Grant's teams that made it to four out of the first eleven Super Bowls. When he didn't get in on that, that was that was a blow. And 
I hope that he does because, you know, people didn't think that Mick Tinglehoff would get in, but it, eventually he fell into the chamber of this uh, backlog of senior candidates and he got in. Unfortunately, you know, when, when Mick got in, you know, Mick's uh, health wasn't the greatest, but um, didn't really enjoy yeah, it yeah, like, yeah. like he should have. Um, I don't know the, how much of he was, he was aware of what was going on. Uh, created one of the greatest scenes. Unfortunately, you know, it was a great scene when Fran Tarkington went up and shared that moment with me. Right. That, that, that was a big deal. It was uh, I was happy to see that. And, and Fran really kind of came forward and, 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 and took care of things. That was a, that was a do neat you think, moment. Do you think Marshall would be in if the Vikings had won a, one of those Super Bowls? Or how important are championships to somebody's chances and does it vary by position like a quarterback obviously might get more credit for winning a Super Bowl than a defensive lineman would but you hear that a lot from people saying that maybe they too much weight is put on uh, who is the Super Bowl or who has a ring well yeah I mean that probably hurt him especially you know early in his eligibility years because um, you saw that you know guys weren't getting in and I think Tarkington waited three years. Um, you know, like maybe a Lynn Swan, if they don't win those Super Bowls, maybe he doesn't get in. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, it, it's an impact. It's um, You can't change their careers. You can't say if, if he would have won a Super Bowl or, you know, you hear it a lot. A lot of the arguments now you hear in the room is, well, if he had played with a better quarterback or if he had been on a better team or – if he hadn't been hurt, you know, it's, there's a lot of ifs and I, you know, I'm just, I always have a hard time, you know, accepting the ifs, you know, it, we can't go back and rewrite the history. I, and it's hard for me to read the minds of 47 other people because I, half the time, I don't know what's in my own head, you know? So to me, it's, it's hard to, you know, if you took it, if you did a survey and everyone was completely honest to me, you know, maybe if championships do have, do have an impact, but I don't know if you, uh, because you could say, yeah, it affected Jim, but but Carl Eller's in the Hall of Fame, and Paul Krause is in the Hall of Fame, and Fran Tarkenton's in the Hall of Fame, Bud Grant's in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, with the Bills, Marv Levy, you know. Uh, Bruce you know, Smith. Yeah, Andre all Reed. Yeah. Andre and, it takes longer, I think. But, but yeah, eventually I think the cream rises to the – the, the top and you made the point earlier some years i just look at the class and i just think ooh, that's brutal you know i mean there's there's so many you know just really really deserving people but it's a hall of fame i mean you, you, it's, yeah. it should be hard to get into you said that and one thing that bothers me especially when you get a and i always thought that it would happen i always i, I used to joke with because I, I worked in canton for 12 years and got to know joe horrigan who's the joe horrigan knows the, the most about football history he of anybody in the walking the planet right now. I mean, he's a walking encyclopedia of NFL history. And I used to joke with him. I said, you know, as these players become more and more, you know, entitled, uh, you're going to find a guy that's not going to show up. And, you know, T.O. ended up being that guy. I kind of joked. I thought maybe Moss would be that guy. Um, but, mm. you know, Randy matured uh, toward, especially after he, he left, uh, after he left football and, um, was well-deserving as a first ballot guy. But, yeah, it's – when you look at it, the first ballot guys are the guys who are true uh, – could be true Hall of Famers. It, you just walk in and you say Brett Favre or you say Peyton Manning. But there are a lot of guys like Jim Marshall that deserve to be in but, you know, just aren't in there. It's unfortunate. What, what age – Go ahead, Joe. I've asked plenty. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, during the season, um, uh, Mike Tice had tweeted something that I covered as an article, uh, essentially saying that he believed that the Hall of Fame voting process should open up to former coaches and former players. And I don't know what the distinction there would be if people had to play X amount of years or coach X amount of years. But, you know, go from the 48 people you're, you're talking about to, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands. Um what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that uh, that would make the process more fair or would that add more bias from which players are working, which teams voting for their teammates? Um, 
it's an interesting concept, I, I suppose. But I, it's I it's, uh, it's it's so interesting that it's actually happening. Uh, you can tell Ticey, uh, Tony Dungy is a Hall of Fame selector. Bill Polian is a Hall of Fame selector. Dan Fouts is a Hall of Fame selector. James Lofton is a Hall of Fame selector. Uh, and other guys have been asked uh, that I can't, you know, there's a, two or two that I know of that were asked and said they didn't have the time for it. Um, but it's happening. And, and believe me, this was Tony and uh, Bill's first year in the, in the room. It was virtual this year, which doesn't really matter, but they were in the room. Uh, yeah, they're invaluable. And Fouts and James Lofton have been in for a handful of years. And yeah, they're, they're invaluable. And um, that's when, when people, you know, bring that to you, they bring it uh, a lot of times, they bring it to you as almost like a, a club they're coming after you. Like, you know, you should open it up to uh, everybody. And well, A, I don't make the rules. I, I could care less. <clears throat> I've, they asked me to do it. I've followed the NFL uh, since Joe was following Abraham Lincoln, and wow. so I decided, you know, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I did it for Sid for a while, then I became the full-time guy and have a tremendous respect for the Hall of Fame. Used to live in Canton. So, yeah, I, I'd be all in favor, and I, and I think we're going to see more of that. We're going to see, as you see, the um, discussions enhanced by a Bill Polian or a Tony Dungy, Dan Faust, James Lofton. Uh, you're probably going to see more and more. But, you know, there has to be guys in there that take it seriously. You know, quite frankly, there's a lot of NFL players, great NFL players that, you know, they didn't watch the NFL growing up. They didn't, they didn't watch the NFL when they were in the NFL, and they certainly aren't watching it now because they've moved on to business interest or they're done with the game. I mean, uh, what you can't have happen is just get someone in there that's doesn't care about it and they just want to get their buddies in. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times you'll sit there and watch the, the you know, the honor show or, or a show that's introducing the hall of famers. And as each guy, you know, as they introduce each guy, they'll say, Oh, you know, this you know, be 15 guys that, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a panel of former players or hall of famers. And those, and each guy that doesn't get in, it's a crime against humanity that that guy didn't get in. And as, you know, Bill and Tony and Dan and James have found out when you're sitting there with that ballot, you know, there's no, hey, let's put 10 guys in. Let's put 15 guys in. <laughs> it's five guys. It's five guys. Make your choice. And uh, there's no, you know, just put them all in. Uh, so, what yeah. about that? Doesn't that, uh, you know, isn't a Hall of Famer a Hall of Famer? And it shouldn't matter how many guys you, you have to, I mean, why couldn't you change that when and to make sure you get all the Hall of Famers in? I'm asking this as devil's advocate. Well, yeah, no, I don't. I, I wouldn't be open to that because it, you know, baseball. I don't, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know a whole lot about baseball. But I sort of respect baseball when there's there are years. That, well, I think maybe this is a year that nobody got in. Right, right? that's correct. You know, yeah. I'm okay with that. You know, I know, I know. There's a lot of selectors, and I'm not. I'm not saying anybody who got in, shouldn't get in. I'm not going down that path. What I'm saying is that uh, I would rather have no minimum than, than, than taking away the maximum. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I just, I mean, obviously I don't know what Cooperstown does when there's no uh, hall of famer, you know, they, do they just not have a ceremony, you know, with Canton, you know, it's, there's a minimum because there's a, there's a big show every year uh, that they put on and they need, Hall of Famers for that show, um, mm. but I, I don't I, I don't have a problem with baseball if there's not a Hall of Famer, no one goes in that year. So, and I know that I don't know how many people vote on the Hall on baseball Hall of Fame, but I know it's a lot more than uh, than football. And it feels like with baseball too, like a lot of the guys that would otherwise be in from a time perspective or if you know being eligible for the first time have a lot of the so-called asterisks by their career barry bonds roger clemens um a rod even uh, when he's if he's eligible now i don't think he is yet but he, the steroid era essentially is you know coming of age for for eligibility or you know a lot of those guys are floating around for the ninth time um and i think that has a huge impact on whether or not they can make the hall, I, you know, I, I don't think they ever will. I think it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, 
much get into baseball, but I've, I kind of thought you know, Barry Bonds was great and didn't need steroids. Uh, and he did amazing things on steroids when everyone else was on steroids. So I'm kind of on two minds in that regard, uh, just because if everyone was doing it, yes, it's cheating, but isn't that kind of the main thing with baseball? Or is everyone that is on Houston not going to make the Hall of Fame now because they're stealing signs or whatever? Um, you know, it's, it's it's an interesting thing. I've, I've always kind of thought one of the main, if you're not cheating in baseball, at least trying to, you're not doing your job is, I think, the adage. Um, what do you think about Chuck Foreman, though? There, there's, uh, he, there was, uh, Sansevier wrote an article about him and essentially interviewed him for it. And his, um, his the crux of it was Foreman felt that the team wasn't advocating for him and if the team doesn't push for you, you stand no chance. Yeah, I don't believe that at all because there's guys that have gone in where the team didn't didn't advocate at all, and there's guys where the team stepped up and advocated for, um, you know, uh, the, probably the greatest push that the Vikings have made in recent years is Jim Marshall, and I, I they asked me what to do, and I, you know, I don't know that it, if someone calls you it how much how much impact it has on you, uh, but I said you know uh, one of the most trustworthy guys and the most trustworthy guy probably voice in this the history of this franchise is bud grant so get bud involved and tell him why you know because it goes you know jim has other the games played the starts played the the sacks uh, just you know when he retired he had played 20 years out of the nfl's uh however many 60 years or whatever it was i mean he was just a uh, he was there forever and he played at a high level and, and for, for that many years, but, you know, Bud Grant made calls and um, it, it didn't gain any traction. So, uh, you know, and you've had other guys where I don't believe they've done anything and not that they, they should do anything. I mean, people need to do their own homework in some regard, <laughs> but like a Randall McDaniel or John Randall, you know, uh, there's too many examples of guys that are in the hall of fame that the team didn't push for that. If you're going to make the argument that, that you're, done if the team doesn't push for you i i just the there's too much evidence on the other side of it mark what is the uh uh the voting or i should say the people like you the hall of fame voters what does that uh group look like are they more like sid and you or are are they uh I'm one of the young bucks, baby. Okay. <laughs> he threw you in the same boat with Sid Hartman, so there was his payback for the Abe Lincoln comments. Thanks, right. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jim. That's where I was going for. But, I mean, are, are there a lot of younger guys now that might not know or, or can put into context the uh, 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 Jim Marshall and, and what he meant to the league? I mean, you're, you're saying some nice things that he's played this percentage of the league to that point, but they don't. You know, I don't think they can they can have that context in their brain. Well, uh, it's laid right out there in front of them. Well, that's another you know twist. To, there's another twist to the process is that you know once you're retired 25 years, you your eligibility your eligibility as a modern era player expires. You go into a senior committee, uh, and there, there's probably eight or ten. I'm not sure eight or ten. I'm not on the senior committee selection committee. But they meet uh, separately, you know, to present a a candidate to to the full committee, and that commit that senior committee is aided by two uh, former Hall of Famers from that similar eras. So, you know, Jim Marshall's name has been in the hopper of that those senior candidates for, you know, however many years it's been since he's been retired, twenty five years. Um, you know, he was in there with the likes of. Uh, you know, Mick Tinglehoff was came out of that out of that hopper. You know, so um, it's not the young guys or, I guess, young in the in the selection committee. Like Therese uh, was thirty seven, and he might have been one of the youngest. Probably was the youngest guy in there. Um, but you know, the senior guys like Jim Marshall are being analyzed by senior committee members who are getting okay. help from. Uh, contemporaries of those players so it's not like i mean they're getting so much extra vetting uh, that when the senior you typically you see when a senior committee candidate is presented to the full committee he goes in because he's been so well vetted well that's interesting yeah there's never been a player that uh bud grant would love in there more than jim marshall and you know having grown yeah, up i, I think i'd agree with him yeah i think i think jim is uh <clears throat> Jim was the um, Jim and Mick Tinglehoff were the Vikings, the heart and soul of the Vikings, and and without those two, 
you know, and, and Bud Grant has said this to me and other people, I'm sure, but without Jim and Mick uh, coming on board to Bud's program and uh, Bud would have been run out, you know, uh, he, Bud was not at that time, you know, he was young at that time. You know, Marshall had bought in and, and, and had, if Marshall hadn't bought into his program, then Bud Grant's probably not Bud Grant. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I wonder what the new age of, of younger guys and this 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 pro, pro, uh, proliferation of statistics and analytics kind of taking over. Everyone's trying to quantify the unquantifiable. And I wrote an article this week on Purple PTSD. Uh, this uh, Pro Football Reference came out with the Hall of Fame meter, putting together all these statistics to find the probability that current or recently retired players will make the hall of fame and it had like harrison smith at like a 37 and the average number was like 110 to get in for a safety um i'm not the biggest fan of analytics i understand that they serve a purpose but i think a lot of those guys think that they can just throw statistics out in a debate you know and and basically say uh, we'll see this the you know it doesn't tell the entire story of a game with an incredible amount of variables uh and so i just yeah, wanted your take kind of on if, if you've noticed some more of that creeping into the process or if you're as you know kind of against it as i i am yeah i mean i'm I, i'm somewhere closer to zimmer when it comes to analytics than i am uh, <laughs> a lot of the people who cover the nfl now <laughs> um you know, I just every time they, an analytic number is thrown at me, I, I think of, well, here's X, Y, and Z of why maybe that happened. That, or I say, say a missed tackle. Say maybe a guy comes, leaves his position and forces a guy to change directions. He misses the tackle, but someone else makes it. I, just all these different things go through my mind when I hear all these analytics. But, you know, I also, when it comes to like people putting numbers on guys whose careers aren't done and, you know, People were talking about Harrison Smith as a Hall of Famer when Harrison Smith was in his sixth year or whatever. You know, he, he's made well, he's a first team. He's, he's made an all for first team All Pro and he's a, a terrific player. So yeah, he has a chance. But it's just uh, <laughs> it's uh, the other, after the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I, th- I was watching TV and, and obviously you had 24 hours. You got to fill it with stuff. But it's like uh, you know Patrick Mahomes, you know, who's what 25 years old. You know, now that he's like, if he, if he were to retire today, is he a Hall of Famer? And okay, so I'm thinking, all right, yeah. The, the discussions start getting, um, maybe it'll be on draft day now where we start talking about whether it's <laughs> a Hall of Famer. I, I don't, I just don't get it, you know. Mark, did, did the process, you, you mentioned that Blue Ribbon Committee and, and, and the, the sort of the expansion they did a, a year ago. Um, I found it really I don't want to, if I want to say suspicious or distasteful or, but, but to have the, you know, the head of the whole committee, like walk on to the middle of the NFL today and then, or, you know, CBS's show and let Bill Cower know and let Jimmy Johnson know that they'd been voted into the hall of fame. And I'm like, seriously, I mean, it just seemed like it was such a self-promoting vehicle and not to say that those two weren't innovative and obviously Super Bowl winning coaches and, and very good at what they did. But again, I think of a Jim Marshall. Did that come at the expense of a Jim Marshall? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, that's not my question for me. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's um, were they I from the same I, pool? I have a hard time believing that. That uh, if you look at who was on the Blue Ribbon Committee, that they picked those two just for that purpose. Now, uh, you know. The Hall of Fame has changed. I mean, I, I go back when I worked in camp in the eighties and eighties and uh, and early ni- early mid nineties. Uh, you know, the Hall of Fame was you know uh, on the front steps of the Hall of Fame. The speeches sometimes the game was kicking off before the speeches were over. And <laughs> you know now it's a three or four day process of you know the speeches are separate. They're in the stadium. I mean, it's because it's gone from a mom and pop operation to you know, big time corporate. And uh, so, yeah, they've, you know, they're going to, they're going to take, they're going to seize those moments, but I don't think that Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson got in before that reason, because even though they, the committee, you know, they, they changed their bylaws and they, for that year to get 20 more guys in, 
um, bypassed us, the, the selection committee, to put and there, but there were some people on the selection committee that were on this blue ribbon committee. But uh, originally, they were going to have <laughs> um, present the twenty to the full committee, and then we had to vote yes or no on all twenty. If we had disagreed with one person on their their twenty, we could vote no, and it would wipe out the whole class. Well, I think they got they got spooked that there would be that maybe <laughs> there there'd be too many of us because you have to get 80% of the votes for the full committee. I think they got spooked that uh, maybe there wouldn't, they wouldn't get 80% in it and they would have 20 people not get in. So uh, I think it was changed again to where the blue ribbon committee selected that class. and We didn't have anything to do with it. Mark, you said you were cover you were back in Canton in the, in the eighties. Was that the 1880s or the Grove of Cleveland area? Or what, what, what was that? The 1780s. 1780s. Okay. I lived in a nice little log cabin, Joe. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, just a second. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this as well. Um, what are your thoughts on the Vikings as of right now? What do you think the franchise is um, generally? I mean, maybe looking at 2020 and then what's happening with uh, free agency and the cap moving forward. Do you think they're on the upswing or? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, last year was just such a, I mean, from start to finish, it was, I mean, we overestimated, even without an off season, I think I picked them nine and seven. I, generally, I, I, I pick eight and eight because that, that's the closest to being right, whether you're there good or bad. <laughs> so it, it's just so hard to tell. Things change so much. I mean, uh, you know, you go into, there's no off season. They had all those at the worst possible time with, with the rookie corners. Yeah, and then Daniil Hunter, each day he's standing there in, in the summer. I'm like, this isn't right. I said, and even though Zimmer was downplaying, and I'm like, until he, until this guy shows up, this isn't good. And you know, so you lose the one of the best pass rushers in the league, and then before that, Michael Pierce, and then the opts out. And you know, to me, it's just so many things happen during the season that that can't happen during the season that can just wipe things out and boy did they you know the injuries just uh just clobbered them so i you know if, they, if they're if they're completely healthy if they're you know add you know they got to keep adding to the offensive line and uh, you know they they certainly have the the talent offensively and the coaching ability defensively i think to you know to, to bounce back i mean i think the last four um NFC Super Bowl teams didn't miss the playoffs the year before. Wow. Um, you know, Tampa Bay obviously. I mean, it was a it was a perfect storm for them because they had a they had a really good, extremely talented roster and was missing only one piece at quarterback, and that one piece happens to be Tom Brady, uh, who just continues to amaze. Um, you know, but there are other examples. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, when they won it, they didn't make they missed the playoffs the year before that. Uh, when the Rams made the uh, Super Bowl, they didn't make the playoffs a year before. So it's just it's a league that just changes. You know, you can change immediately from year to year. As the Vikings, we find out with the Vikings. You know, each year it's uh, you're out of the playoffs, you're in the playoffs. I think they they need to establish some consistency and and uh, you know their, their their window for opportunity was was 2019 when they they had you know the quarterback they wanted and all the defensive players that they wanted uh, and, and they were real and they were healthy. So they, they, when they missed it there, then, you know, you looked at a, at a reboot. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your insight with us. It's uh, means a lot to us and, uh, you know, not bringing up how many mulligans overly takes, I think, um, it's a good sign I, that you're trustworthy. Not, not enough because playing with uh, Craig, golf with Craig is a handicap all of its own. So I just <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe, we were we were in a golf tournament. We well, I shouldn't call it a tournament, but we we played this uh, some buddies down in Florida for for years. And Joe is by himself in a sand trap, and he stops play. And there's people behind us, and he stops playing. He says, "Guys, guys, come over here, come over here." We're like, what, "What's going?" So I walk over, and he's like. You know, my my club touched the sand, and I got to call a penalty on myself. And I said, 
I said, come on, Joe. I said, look around. <laughs> you, th you think we care if you touch the sand or not? He was, well, he wasn't, he wasn't in there digging it and taking a practice <laughs> shot. He just grazed it like, you know, like you, like someone on CBS was going to, a viewer was going to call in and report him or something. I said, it's, it's a ball, Joe. That's the most orderly story I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, yeah, he's a stickler. He's a stickler. I, 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 I wrote a rules column for the Minneapolis or Minnesota golfer for years. I mean, you know, it's kind of hypocritical if I don't play by the rules when I tell everybody else to. So better call that. Yeah, as, as golf's finding out, Joe, some of the rules were stupid. And they're <laughs> that's, why they're, that's why they're changing them, Joe. They're, they're becoming more like our FUBAR rules than they are the PGA Tour rules. Yes. FGA. I actually lettered uh, in golf. I don't know, Joe, if you knew that, or maybe I turned it yes, up. Yes, I have. Uh, yes, in, in high school, and the the best way to sum up my abilities at the time, which were better than they are now, was when I turned my scorecard in after a tournament. They, uh, the person would laugh and say, "No, really, what was your score?" Uh, <laughs> they would they would put me with the, the number one guys on the other team because I would take so long that it would frustrate the opponent, and their <laughs> scores would go down by like eight strokes. Not my thing. Uh, more Tough of a story thing. in golf yesterday by for, for crying out yeah. loud. Mm. Tiger Woods deal, man. I hope uh, hope somehow he can he can rally and come back. You know, I, I, you know, I don't need to see him on a golf course. That's 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 severe stuff. But uh, what's the uh, latest on that? Because I know you like just had back surgery. So then this happens. Yeah. I mean, does well, he have? It, it sounds like there were two broken bones in his t in his lower leg, and then his his ankle shattered. shattered. Shattered bones, yeah. Yeah, and oh. so he's got pin a pin in his leg and and a bunch of screws and other metal in his foot to or his ankle to put that back together. And I, you know, at forty five years old, I don't know how you come back from that, but uh, um, I you know, I I just hope he does well and he can walk again and and uh, you know. Um, it comes yeah, back with the torque that you put on your ankle with the swing. That's gonna be because exactly. I shattered my ankle in three places like two years ago, and I had surgery. Uh, I broke my foot too, and it's they basically just fuse everything because there's so many bones. There's not a whole lot they can do there. Mm -hmm. um, but man, that guy just has been accumulating injuries. It seems like, but he got that away was, with uh... some of the worst of it from avoiding some of the worst of it. it seems. When I came to Star Tribune in '99, uh, John Rowe retired before the 2000 golf season. And they said, "Does anyone want to be the golf writer?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to be the golf writer." And uh, my first three majors that I covered were it was Tiger Woods at Pebble Beach in 2000, Tiger Woods at uh, uh, Valhalla was Valhalla in the PGA in 2000, the Bob May playoff. And the third one was the, I didn't go to the British Open, but the third one was the Tiger Slam at the Augusta the next year. Wow. And I think I covered like 11 majors, 11 or 12, and Tiger won six of them or something. It was, you know, you, you just, uh, it was such a a highlight of, of just being in, somewhere in person to see him play and just to see what he could do. And, and, and you know, it, Anyone, you know, you play golf, you have obviously have a bigger, bigger respect for what he's doing. But just even the people who don't play golf, I think, looked at things he did and went, wow, you know, he keeps making these putts or he keeps making these shots. And it was uh, it was it was impressive to watch. Good time to be a golf writer, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a wheelhouse. Yeah, you really changed the game. I mean, it was, it was younger sponsors, kids started playing it more and more. Kids in the inner city where I grew up started playing it. We got to, I actually got to meet him at Hiawatha um, through this program at my school where he uh, tried to, if he made a hole in one on a par three, like he was going to donate a million dollars to something. Uh, and he spent like a lot of individual time with each kid. It was really, nice. really kind of a crazy experience to be honest with you. Cause that was like peak Tiger Woods fame, mostly like 2000, 2001. Um, so yeah, hopefully things turn out well for him, yeah. but thanks again, uh, Mark, for stopping uh, onto the show. You're always welcome. Uh, to stop by whenever you'd like. Uh, hopefully during the season we can chat more about the uh, current Vikings team and see what happens because it's, uh, I'm a little worried about the COVID cap as I keep bringing up and some of these uh, 
contracts and defense. I'm not uh, entirely sure some of the guys will be back. I'm a little worried about Daniel Hunter's uh, uh, acceptance of the status quo in regards to how he's getting paid. Uh, it just it seems like there's going to be a reckoning. I don't know if I'm wrong about that, but it, it keeps me up at night. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's the NFL. It changes, you know. <laughs> It's going to start changing quickly here in uh, when the, the league year opens. And, you know, you just you never bring back the same exact team. So uh, we'll see. That's great to have you, Mark. Uh, yep. Thank you, Mark. Lot, yeah, lot thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, everyone obviously can uh, check out Mark in the Star Tribune sports section. Uh, great guy. Great insight, man. That. What Check him cool... out on Twitter too, because uh, he's he's a lot of fun there. Yeah. The... <laughs> um, but... I try to keep my mouth shut on Twitter, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that knows, it doesn't always work. Oh, uh, that's, that's what so... Mark, I think it's at Mark Craig NFL right on Twitter. Uh, you can see him and Overly uh, jawing back and forth. But I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for this week. I want to thank everybody for checking out the show, uh, sharing it, subscribing to it on the different podcast platforms. I want to thank everybody in Detroit Lakes for tuning in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Um, um, and uh, check us out next week uh, at, at um, 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock p.m. on KBLM Sports or on VikingsTerritory.com or PTSD.com. A little distracted. Sorry about that. But thanks, everybody, for for tuning in. It's never a dull moment in the Johnson household. I uh, will check in with everyone uh, next week. Our cars will break down, and when they do, the repair bill can be devastating. Not anymore. You need Protect My Car, whether it's a car, truck, or SUV. You can stop paying expensive repair bills. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now to see if you could qualify. Just tell us the make and model and get an instant quote right over the phone and get coverage today. For cars between 2008 and newer, expensive repairs for the engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now before your next repair bill hits. For total protection of your car, truck or SUV and less repair bills plus free oil changes, free tire rotations and free roadside assistance. Just call 800-392-8795 now. Protect your car and your wallet. Call 800-392-8795. Paid for by Protect My Car. Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Seriously, who's blowing up my phone? Oh yeah. Powerball. Big news. Powerball now draws 3 days a week. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim.